You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss our market expectations for 2023. What trends do we think we'll see in the coming year? How will macroeconomic trends, shifting consumer preferences, and participation affect the market for outdoor right, recreation related products this year? So this like, dovetails right into what year? we're going to do at Let's the Bicycle Leadership it. Conference this year, which is bring up NPD to talk about trends that we've seen in the bike industry, as well as like trends in the U.S. market, retail market, and some of those more macro trends that are affecting our industry. Yeah. And then hand the baton off to S&P Global, who's going to take it. They've built some forecasting models based on NPD's retail data, and they've projected bike unit sales out for five years. And so they're reaching out to 2028 for bikes, as well as like breaking it down into kids' bikes and electric bikes. The BLC, I think, is going to be a little bit of what people expect, kind of like that, hey, what's going on in the market, like recent trends sort of stuff, but really building on that with some groundbreaking work we're doing with S&P Global to understand what's coming down the pike in terms of just risks and opportunities that the bike industry could expect to face in the next five years. Did you get a chance to dig into their work and see exactly how they determine how to weight variables and what they're using to make their projections? Yeah. So a lot of it is a linear aggression work. And and so they're building models based on macroeconomic data. So there's things like home affordability and fuel prices, inflation, some of these like more macro trends that that have less to do with the bike industry, but also participation and safety builds into that too. Like, of course, we need people riding bikes in order to sell bikes. And that's true across any outdoor activity. The the more people that are doing an activity, the more products we're going to sell to support that activity. And and a lot of the inputs too to S&P Global's forecast for our work include observations from their economists, which are stationed like on the ground in countries across the world. And so we have these really in-depth views into like six specific countries of interest where the bike industry does business. And they're looking at political unrest and they're looking at environmental conditions and they're looking at all these factors that affect the bike industry's ability to do business in those areas and then quantifying the effect that that has on bicycle demand. It's a crazy cool report. I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, I find economics to be a little bit of, of wizardry as a mathematician. You know, I'm always going to throw that stone science. at you, man. It's a social Get science. Out of here. Have you seen the work? Have you seen what they're predicting? Yeah, I don't think it'll surprise anyone, but they're projecting a continued substitution of electric bicycles for non-electric bicycles. Electric bicycles are are quickly becoming an affordable alternative to privately owned vehicles for folks who live in areas where they can navigate everywhere they need to go via bicycle. Well, you can do it a heck of a lot more efficiently with an electric bicycle. And so we're seeing car replacement trips in favor of electric bicycles. And we're also seeing a recreation market that's just opening up because electric bicycles are easier for someone who's maybe not as strong of a rider to be able to hang with their friends that are strong riders. You can don't all say ex- old, don't do extend it your range. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not saying old, Kelly, uh, about any of our listeners. I, I definitely wouldn't say it about you either. You can navigate around some of your physical limitations, including age, um, by electrifying your ride. You know, we're projecting 
models that look similar to the growth of electric bicycles in Europe and Asia, where it is exponential. And, and we're really early in that trajectory in the US market. You know, like we've been a little slower to adopt. I think a lot of that's based on the US's tendency to to view bicycles more as a tool for recreation, less as a tool for transportation, right? So like 97% of the folks who ride a bike in the US ride it for recreation. Only 3% of the riders in the US ride solely for transportation. That Venn diagram has an overlap. There's a big overlap there, folks who ride for both. But those who just ride for transportation is a pretty small audience. I and guess. that's like totally flipped in Europe and Asia. The bike is a tool for getting around, just like the automobile is a tool for getting around to the US. And the infrastructures that support some of those um, patterns are just different. And so our adoption of electric bicycles has just been lagging behind those markets a little bit. But when we're projecting unit sales of bikes and electric bikes, we're certainly seeing electric bikes starting to consume more of the market and eat at some of the non-electric, adult non-electric bike sales. I would guess so, especially considering that, you know, I'm going to be asked for almost $10,000 for a high-end non-electric mountain bike. Maybe I should get a motor with all that. I'm going to spend <laughs> that kind of money. I mean, all kidding aside, you know, I own a whole bunch of electric bikes including yeah. a kick bike and, you know, the folded, the one that I can fold and put it in an airplane. I love it, you know, and I do use it in ways that do replace my vehicle. And I think a lot of people will. And in addition, you know, I'm going to point this out demographically just once because, because it's just, it's just on my mind a lot lately. Not because I'm old. <laughs> I still ride a longboard, damn it. <laughs> That's like there a you go, but I'm 80. But the percentage and the actual number of seniors is going to go up quite a bit in the next 30 mm -hmm. years. Like we're expecting more than 50 million additional seniors to be walking around in 30 years. And that's, you know, that's Gen X basically. And I think, you know, something like the e-bike and, you know, other innovations in outdoor recreation can keep that generation active a lot longer than previous generations have remained active. And we all thought the boomers were going to do it and they did. The boomers are out. Yeah. They're doing a lot of walking. They're doing a lot of wildlife viewing, but imagine, you know, that a group that has the tools to go out and continue to participate in things like mountain biking and, and even gravel riding and road riding on a bike. It's just fantastic. And, and I'll tell you, one of the things I love about having a little bit of help, a little pedal assist is that, yeah, it makes it, this shit's supposed to be fun. It's right? fun. If, yeah. If, I was waiting for you to say that. that. If 95% of people are doing it for pure recreation, if your recreation isn't fun for you, then wow. Um, we've got other things to talk about. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. and we probably do, frankly. I mean, I remember why some days when I used to just train because I was angry. Right? <laughs> I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm going running. But yeah, it's, it's, I think that we have a lot of opportunity with emerging markets. And I'm talking about seniors specifically with innovations in equipment that sort of like the electric bike. So, no, I'm not surprised. Plus, they're fun as hell. I mean, let's just face yeah. it. If we're all doing it for fun, they are fun as hell, especially on trail. I mean, have you ever shredded up a trail? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's hard to it's not fun. have fun on an electric mountain bike. Beyond that, we've talked about electric bikes a million times mm -hmm. and we should continue to talk about electric bikes a million times. But I, I just let me dig in a little bit more to this analysis you're talking about, because I'm curious, what are they assuming is going to happen with inflation and also in the jobs market? I mean, the, the top line is that we expect inflation to continue to affect bicycle demand because 
the average selling price of bicycles has increased significantly. I mean, we saw just like everyone else in retail saw the price of containers go increase by tenfold. Um, oh my God, it was forty thousand dollars. So yeah, to ship yeah. Now it's we're back down to twenty four hundred well, according yeah, to the so, Institute for Supply Management. But so the price of finished goods increased when that transport cost increased, and the price of finished goods has has kind of stuck, even though that cost that input cost is reduced a little bit. And so the the higher price of the finished goods, the, high, the average selling price increasing for bicycles, while inflation is increasing, has made them more and more costly. And so I'm worried about the average rider being able to afford a bicycle right now. I'm not worried about those folks at the high end, whether they're really avid or whether they're really wealthy. Like they'll they'll continue to buy because they're just inelastic in their demand. Agreed. It's like vice. It's vice for them. Uh, affordability has a, a big sort of potential to push that demand downward. And so that's something that we're going to keep monitoring. The cool thing about this report is that it's released quarterly. And so as we see trends emerge in the macro economy, we can adjust for that. And our, our new models can reflect the most recent data. Yeah. I, you know, macroeconomic models are fascinating and many of them are black box. You just never get to see inside. You'd never get to see how the sausage is made. But it is fascinating stuff. And, it, you know, it's it's very human. What happens inside that mm -hmm. black box, I find to be very squishy. But, yeah, well, I'm, I'll, I'm, I'll I can't you. wait to see this report. I think everybody should be salivating to see this report. because yeah. It's just just for our members. So if you're in the bike industry and you're not a member, maybe give us a shout. Maybe, but, uh, maybe join up. <laughs> maybe join up. Yeah. Um, yep. So, so this really isn't a black box. The cool thing about this report is that it's got, you know, like an exec summary, which is just bullets. Like, here's what you should care about. It's got this really in-depth PDF report that describes all the inputs to these models and sort of provides context about why we think this is going to move in a certain direction. And then for the real nerds out there, there's like an Excel workbook that has all of the data and all of the modeling and all of the coefficients and all of the Stata output so that you can see exactly what was done. And if you think that home affordability is going to be different in Q3 of 2026, you can adjust that yourself and see how that affects the the output of that model. So you can kind of do some plug and play on your end if you have different assumptions or if you have different internal data that you want to fold into this model. I, you know, the, the way that I view it, any of the reports and any of the research that PFB members uh, dues pay for ought to be available to the members in as thorough report as possible. And that includes raw data and like modeling ability, you know? Yeah. I thought I was the only one that <laughs> hung out on Sundays and, and just did derivatives. Like, it hey, might just what, be you and me. What if, we, what if we press this lever? No, there are more of us, man. I know them too. Uh -huh. Let's press this lever and see what happens. What I'm interested, what I'm really interested in when I look at an analysis like that is, you know, what conversations, what kind of background went into deciding Right, which levers yeah. to push and how much, and that's that's what I'm getting at, Patrick. When I say black box, oh, totally. Yeah, it's all just derivatives. It's linear regression, which is kind of boring. I mean, you could but, at least do two tailed. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I, I want <laughs> logistical regression. It's this is great stuff, and I mean, this is going to be really valuable to people for bikes members. I think my confidence is is affected uh, positively by the fact that an input to this model was having a handful of experts from across the bike industry. So complete bike brands, parts brands, and then a couple of other folks that are just like brilliant data and research people came together and like sat at a round table to describe to S&P Global how the bike industry works, where we work. And they took all of that context to inform their models, right? And so it's not just 
economists approaching this from a zeros and ones sort of angle, but it's everyone come together to say, this is how the bike industry operates. This is how complete bikes and components work together to bring finished goods to market. And this is where we're doing business. These are the countries we ought to focus on. Let's take all of this into account when we create these quantitative models. Yeah. So I, I think that's made a really strong deliverable for our members. I think it has too. And I'll, I mean, I'm going to keep a close eye on it because I think this would be really valuable for various categories in outdoor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure S&P Global would be amenable to that. <laughs> I, I think so. You think? So I know that you don't have anything quite as comprehensive as this, but let's talk about what you're forecasting the 2023 market to be for for some of your categories? Well, I'm going to start by saying, you know, I don't think I have the data to, to do any real forecasting here in the sense that you can't build a macroeconomic model like you just did. I do not have the resource to do that. And BEA kind of does it overall for outdoor. So, you know, we're, we've got to, we've got to prioritize our resources. And the reason I say that is because, you know, in, if you're, if you're projecting data, um, it's really helpful to have a lot of history because you can look at it, you can correlate it with other data that, that like reliable data that has a lot of history and correlate things like inflation and employment and GDP and, you know, basically any variable you want to the various sales and participation measurements in across outdoor. But when the pandemic happened, basically all of that data on March 5th, 2020, mm -hmm. all that data ceased to be useful. And I, I mean, I sometimes I sound kind of like a broken record talking about this, but it's true. When you're talking about humans, suddenly we we reached a point at which there was a sea change created by the pandemic in which, yeah. you know, we lived and behaved. And so all of that data about behavioral aspects of, you know, buying like customer journeys and Exactly. Even 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 segmentation, like all the all the psychographics change for and and that makes that makes it very, very difficult to do anything. I right? would kind of just sitting on my hands, like saying, OK, well, we're still in the pandemic. Whether we're out <laughs> now is up for debate. I mean, that's been up for debate for about six months. All kinds of arguments for and against that are actually pretty reasonable. I mean, it's yeah. this is still up for debate. But what I'm looking for now in the in the data and especially in participation and sales are changes in behavior and i you know i have got participation data that's very specific to outdoor and i've got consumer intelligence from civic science that i can that i can be specific for outdoor i mean i can see for instance that people that participate in outdoor recreation are more likely to say eat an edible um huh. about i i know that about 30 percent of them are wearing their running shoes fucking everywhere doing everything in them I mean, That's I know, I, I know what cars, I know that, I know that if you're a hunter, that there's a, more than 40% chance you're driving a truck. I mean, I know these things, but I don't know how behavior is going to play out over time now that we're through mm -hmm. the pandemic. That said, I mean, what I try and do is pay attention to a lot of different types of data. And this is called triangulation. This is just saying, okay, yeah. you know, I don't, I can't use this one point to say we're, this is exactly what's going on. So I'm going to try and collect data from BEA and from actually the Census Bureau and from the Institute for Supply Management to see if we can if we can look at all of the things, all the insights that those data sets bring us and then and then basically integrate them into the equation. Right. If you're a data nerd, mm -hmm. I'm talking about basically null hypothesis. So if you've got a derivative, yeah, you just keep throwing variables in there until something makes the machine go chunk. 
right? That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> so today, so today, for example, um, I'm reading, I open the post because, you know, I live in the DC area and I read mm-hmm. the post always have since I was a kid, even when my mom didn't think it was a liberal rag, <laughs> it came to the, came to our front porch every day. But today there was an article about a gathering of mayors that happened in DC this week. And they're, they're freaking out. They are freaking out because downtowns are not revitalized. They're done. They're, they're ghost towns after the pandemic. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking about your bike data, mm-hmm. right? What is, what does it mean that basically our urban centers are, are hollowed out and it doesn't look like it's there, you know, no matter what mandate have come, come across the desk of whoever saying you will be back in the office. I mean, it's just not happening. And just to give you an idea, the city with the most, the highest occupancy rating in their in their buildings downtown is Austin, Texas at 65. The, in terms of the top 10 cities, the average in terms of occupancy, 47 percent, 47 percent is the average. So all of those little restaurants and cafes and all the places that we gathered when we were stuck at the office mm-hmm. for however many hours a week, all of those places are dying or dead. And you know, we don't, they don't know what to do with the commercial real estate. They're talking about all kinds of innovative things. And I'm thinking that could be a huge variable in what happens to bike. And and frankly, what happens to outdoor, because the pandemic allowed people more time to spend out and, and, you know, for, for various reasons at the beginning of the pandemic, they all went outdoors. Yay. But our data indicates that they stayed out and one, you know, 2021 does not make a trend. I'm glad you said that. Post-pandemic, I think, is just beginning to happen now. And mm. I would predict that, you know, there will be a lot of, maybe a lot of changes in the in just the way we live. And that will likely affect all of outdoor. How it's going to happen, I don't know. I think we're going to keep the, the 10 million participants that we gained during the pandemic. But I think things, you know, I think we're, we're going to plateau for a little while. And I think we're not alone. Everybody, every industry is going to plateau for a little while. Every yeah. industry. So, so here's what I start thinking of when I hear you saying that, you know, like some of those restaurants and some of those like downtown hangout spots are struggling is that, do I worry about some of the companies that are members of people for bike struggling or some of the companies that are part of the outdoor industry struggling? I have so much less concern about that because the marketplace has been so nimble to adapt to selling online, to buying online and picking up in stores, to like really meeting the customer's needs, regardless of the limitations of social distancing guidelines and stay-at-home orders so that they can participate in those outdoor activities. It's like the, the marketplace has just changed so much in the last going on three years now. I feel for those businesses that were located in downtown areas that are no longer doing business the way they were in 19 and before, but we've got 300 organizations to care for and they're they're doing everything they can. They, they have a, a different playbook to, to work with. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think what I'm saying is that I'm looking at at social trends. You asked me, you know, how yeah. do I project? One of the social trends is that we are not concentrating during the day in city centers. And that means a lot for outdoor. Right? That means a lot that our people are, are hanging out in the suburbs or hanging out wherever they live at least yeah. three days a week, because that's kind of how it works now after the pandemic. I don't think what we're looking at in the market has, has anything to do with stay-at-home orders or or any, oh, of, yeah, any totally. of the, the medical side. Now I think we're figuring out, you know, what what do we want our lives to be? Yeah. 
post pandemic, do you know, do I want to go back to spending 60, 70 hours a week in the office and or commuting? And the answer appears to be no. And for businesses, you know, the question is, do you want to continue to spend a whole lot of money on office space when your people don't really want to use it? So is it going to be open shared office space that is appropriate for a hybrid environment? That seems to be the trend that's emerging. Yeah. So one of the interesting trends that we saw since the pandemic was like, we, we get ride volume data from Echo Counter and they, they track using automated counters, bicycles going through a particular thoroughfare, whether it's a, a rail trail or a sidewalk area or whatever, they're like tabulating bikes. And they were able to create this algorithm that can differentiate between a recreational ride and a ride for utilitarian purposes or transportation, right? Like commuting based on the time of the day when the volume is the greatest and the days of the week when the volume is the greatest. So for instance, if rides are ride volume is the heaviest from like 8 to 10 a.m. and 4 to 6 p.m. on weekdays, we think that that's a commuting thoroughfare. And if it's greatest like later in the evening during weekdays or like on the weekends at all, we think of that as recreation riding. So that makes sense. They split these data out going back to 2020. And we saw transportation riding take a huge hit, right? Because we're not going into offices. And recreation riding jumped way up because we've got more time on our hands because we're not commuting and we've got to get out of the house because we're going nuts. And, you know, all, all these other reasons that I've, I've said consistently for all these episodes is like cycling during the pandemic was an activity in which Americans could participate safely, maintaining like six plus feet of distance from our, our friends and family. It was an activity that allowed us to like socialize with people because we were out on the trail and we were, be, were hanging out even though we were distanced and we could maintain a healthy lifestyle. That transportation riding, according to the Echo Counter data, hasn't really picked back up in the same volume. We're still seeing the same like relative proportions of the American population riding for transportation. And actually, it's it's increased a little bit, but they're not riding to and from work. The, the patterns have shifted. So I, I'm totally with you just considering how our reprioritization of our day-to-day lives will, will continue to affect how we participate in outdoor recreation. Definitely. I mean, I'm thinking of cross-country skiing. When we did a our survey, we got about 1,500 people tell us that they're cross-country skiing more during the week than they were on the weekends now because of the change in the way they work. I saw that across yeah. outdoor. I mean, just just as a as a really salient example, OIA does does not have official office space anymore. We are distributed mm-hmm. across the country. We see each other about once a quarter for various reasons. But yeah, I think that we're in a we're in a new age of how we work, where we work. Yeah. And and it's, you know, it's this is hard. This is this is like the, you know, the business 101 lesson that every single one of us that had any desire to sit through any B school classes go through, yeah. where we talk about the buggy whip guy, who's the last <laughs> buggy whip manufacturer. And that's, I mean, it's it's a, it's part of capitalism that markets will adjust and there will be death and there will be life. And I wonder, though, think about all the implications to patterns of business, um, oh, consider, yeah. considering that the highest occupancy rate, you know, in the top 10 largest cities is 47 percent. To the, you know, the people that ran that cafe that hung out in the in the first floor of that office building that we all mm-hmm. went to for a sandwich. Well, though, maybe they move out. Maybe they move to the suburbs where everybody's hanging out. You know, just because we're working at home doesn't mean I don't want to hop on my bike and go to the deli. 
So we're, I think we're going to see some major reorganization across the economy. And that, circling back, is why I'm so very interested in the guts of your report, of the report that S&P Global did with you. I think it's going to be fascinating, and, and I'm here for it. Yeah. I, when, when are you going to release that? When is that coming out? It's out. It's out? It's out. Yeah. So it's available to PFB members now. We're using the Bicycle Leadership Conference to like really kind of uh, make a big promotion out of it. And then following that in-person event in Dana Point, California in mid-March, we're going to have an in-depth webinar for members where we dive into this is exactly what each section represents. This is how you use this information to make data-driven decisions in your organization. This is how you use this Excel workbook to do some like simulation testing and scenario planning for for future markets. So so one audience is going to be like more the the C-suite folks who are going to take it back and say, hey, you guys got to pay attention to this. And then the other audience with the webinar is going to be um, sort of the the data folks who are in it day to day, like plugging and playing. So yeah, it, that'll be uh, here in just a few weeks by the time this comes out, you know. I think it's going to be really interesting. And for the lay people out there, if you want to get the report, I believe that you would go to People for Bikes website and- Yeah, I'll put a link in the episode yeah. description. Right on. Well, I'm going to follow that link. <laughs> well, well, hey, let's let's follow up this conversation. Maybe we can sort of like bring this into a conversation about the future of participation because we we like touched on it a little bit as those shifting environments and shifting landscapes relate to sales. But let's um let's think about oh, yeah. how it relates to people. That's why I love doing this podcast with you because you always pick up what I'm putting down, Patrick. Hogan. There we go. Yeah, it's like a two <laughs> two part episode sort of topic. Kind of. Forecasting sales, forecasting participation. All right. Should we provide some kind of a cliffhanger? <laughs> yeah, if you got one, go for it. I really don't. I have no cliffhanger. Tune in. <laughs> Tune in. Let's talk, let's let's talk about how these changing patterns could affect participation and patterns of participation because they they certainly will. I'm excited to talk about that. Tune in. Next week. Next week. We'll see you there. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.